The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Whether you're looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. All right. Hello, principals, and welcome to the NAESP Principal Podcast. My name is Rachel George, and I am an elementary principal in Oregon, and I am also an NAESP fellow. And my name is Adam Welcome. I'm an elementary principal in California and also lucky enough to be a fellow with NAESP with Rachel in the Innovation Center. Awesome. So, hey, Adam and I are just always just so excited to bring you and all of our friends, the NAESP Principal Podcast. It's where we're talking about real ideas with some amazing principals, which we have one in store for you today. And our goal is to make your leadership stronger and more innovative. Yeah, and today on the podcast, we are talking about the power of tier one instruction. And I'm just gonna be open and honest and vulnerable, Rachel, with you because you're a good friend of mine and also all of our listeners. I, I feel somewhat intimidated to be stepping into this conversation and talking and for the conversation that we're going to have with our guest, not because I don't know what tier one is, or we quote unquote, haven't done it at the schools where I work. I, I feel like I have such growth that needs to happen. And I think that's a good thing. And I think looking back at my career where I've been in the conversations and the work that I've done, I realized that we could have done, done better. And that now that we know better, we should do better. And it's uh, and every state's a little bit different. We know that, but, but tier one first best instruction is tier one first best instruction. No matter if you're in Kentucky or California or Oregon, it's, you know, it's getting it to kids. So how, how are you feeling about, about the power of tier one and, and just, the work that, that you're doing and the work that you've done, Rachel. Yeah. Um, appreciate that before jumping into your question, just want to say, thanks for being vulnerable. That is huge. You name in it. Right. And I think that having that awareness then helps create power to be able to know where to spend some time and energy. And speaking of places to spend time and energy, tier one is definitely where it's at. This tends to be a slight obsession of mine for sure with instruction, um, whether it's tier one, tier two, or tier three. We are four years deep in a really solid RTI process within our district. You know, and I had awareness of tier one instruction and, you know, best practices at grade level supporting all students before that RTI process, it was kind of like a bootlegged version, but going through that learning curve of the last four years has just been so powerful. And it's had a really, really strong influence on our teachers within the building and also on our outcomes for students. So this is a big obsession of mine, something that I feel really, really strongly about and is a game changer, quite frankly, when you're talking about student outcomes and really changing the game for students within your building. Yeah, you know, I think about you and I have hung out on a few occasions. We were supposed to run the Portland Marathon a couple of years ago, and then mm -hmm. things just happened. And uh, was it COVID that canceled that? Yeah, it was yeah. the Eugene Marathon almost Eugene. one year from, from today. <sighs> like, it was April. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I was supposed to speak at an event up there. We were going to run the marathon. That's right. Everything got canceled. And I feel like this is something that we've talked about and that, like, we will continue to talk about. And I think... As a leader, 
where my vulnerability comes in. And like I said, I think every state is different. The culture in every building is different. It's what it's what has been allowed to happen in your building, in your school, which really kind of dictates where you go and the kind of conversations you have. And I, I you know, I talked about my vulnerabilities and I, I would have had stronger conversations with teachers previously about tier one instruction and about best instruction and what we should and should not be doing in the classroom for all students. I think it's, I think it's such an important concept. And I think it's really, it's looking at the things that we do as educators that maybe are fluffy and that are glittery. And should school be fun? A hundred percent. But should we be doing some of the things in our classrooms that we're doing? No. And I can remember a quick story time a few years ago, uh, my kids are two years apart and my daughter was in first grade and there was an assignment that the kids had to make a train car out of a cardboard box. They had read the book, Polar Express. They had watched the movie, Polar Express. They had hot chocolate. And then this was like an assignment. Well, first graders, I mean, can you imagine who creates, who makes the train? The parents do. So then we were all invited to the school and we really like the school where we are. Teachers are awesome. I think this is just an example of like, where is that? Where does this fit in with instruction and why we're at school? So we go to school because there was going to be a parade of all the cardboard boxes and all the first grade parents are on the blacktop and parents are standing around and the kids just do like two loops wearing their cardboard box. And that was it. And I looked, I turned to my wife and I said, that was it. Are you kidding me? And one of our friends, they were behind us. She kind of laughed. She's like, what? Kids can't have fun in school. Kind of sarcastically, I said, oh, they can have fun. But did how long did you spend doing this? How long have they spent in here? Think about all they could be doing. And that mom had this look in her eye, like point taken, you know, like there, there is a hundred percent room to have fun in school. Learning is fun and it should be fun. But when we're talking about the power of tier one and best first instruction, and also, hey, reaching your English learners, providing intervention, reaching your gifted and talented students, because there's power in that too. And if we don't challenge those kids, they're not achieving their full potential. And what was the intended outcomes of doing all those activities, getting parents to the school? Should we get parents to school to build relationships and culture? A hundred percent. Was that the best way to do it? And that's just an example I'm talking about. And I think it's it's talking about everything that you do in your building, in your classrooms. Like, what is the point of this? Because even if you've been doing it for five years, it could be outdated because the world has changed. Rachel, talk about COVID. I mean, talk about how COVID has changed and changed what we're doing if you're in virtual or hybrid. And then what's it going to look like when we get back in school, when we are back in school and different, depending on where you are in the country, you're either in or you're coming back or you're somewhere in between. Um, I'm super excited to listen to our guest today because I think we've had some conversations offline with her and talk about dialed in. And I, I know I'm going to learn from her. That's just kind of what I'm thinking about, Rachel. No, those are really, really good things. You know, as you were sharing the story about the Polar Express, it made me wonder, like, when during the day did she pull that time to coordinate that? Like, when you're looking at the power of tier one, boy, I, I 
cross my fingers and my toes that that wasn't pulled out of reading instruction or your core math time, because I am a firm believer. You can have fun and you can have a vibrant school community culture, but you can also have darn high expectations for your students and incredible outcomes. And, you know, we talk about that in the book that I wrote with Kate and Courtney and principles that you don't have to pick one or the other. And I think in my personal opinion, that there are people that pick one or the other, right? And and for full disclosure, I definitely tend to go more towards, you know, sometimes of that, you know, business isn't the right, the right word to use, but academic achievement, like I have to be very intentional to make sure that I'm planning in that fun, that culture, that community, the sparkly glitter, you know, like just fun stuff. But when I do plan that, I am really, really intentional about the time of day. Like we do a family feast every year. We bring families in, grandparents come in, anybody that you know, we use family really loosely, come have lunch with the kids, let's celebrate it, it's fantastic. But we also readjust our schedule to make sure that we're still getting our core one, like core, core math instruction or core reading instruction. And we're still using really solid tier one instructional strategies. So those are our non-negotiables within our building. You know, we believe in growing all students through academics, attitude, and attendance. And that academics, the, the first level of support is a strong tier one time. You know, our time is sacred. I think COVID has really shown us that we can't take advantage of just time. You know, everybody is on probably a reduced schedule. Everyone in Oregon is for the most part, you know, we know used to have like what seven hour days with kids, seven, eight hours. And we've, we've taken out a lot of our fluff and we're able to deliver the same level of instruction in four hours. Dude, what were we doing for the other three hours? I know that we weren't on the <laughs> playground. You know, we had uh, a snow. It's about having and- high expectations. It is. It's just about having high expectations. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you the whole fun, the whole fun thing. Now, if we went to, if we're able to go visit the school of our guest today or a school that has like really dialed in quote unquote business kind of mindset, they're still having fun. The kids are not unhappy. They're not, they're actually having fun because they're learning and they're growing and they're exploring and they're infusing project-based learning into that. But if you're not only having fun, but if you're really looking at that, that fluff and there's a, there's a chapter in kids deserve it, uh, more meat, less glitter where Todd and I talk about more meat and less glitter because the glitter, it, 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 it fades away and it only gets you so far. We're preparing kids for a world that they're growing up in and it's changed. There's new jobs. There's new, it's a new economy and those same old projects and ideas, they're just not going to get our kids ready for the world that they're living in. Mm-hmm. No, completely. And as I think to instruction, and our building, we have some non-negotiables that we really keep sacred to our heart. And one is the time. And we kind of talked about that a little bit. The other piece that we've developed is ensuring that we're using the curriculum that we've agreed that we're going to use, right? When we start really deviating from it, gaps and exists really gaps start to exist and be created. And, and it's okay to deviate, but we got to communicate and just have that awareness with it. And then the other factor is we have some high leverage strategies that we use across the building. We've been a huge fan of Kagan over the years. It's worked for our student population for the level of engagement and the conversations, shifting that cognitive load from the teacher being the sage on the stage to all of a sudden empowering students to really be doing the thinking and the processing. And those have been game changers. And it ties right back in with our tier one support to making sure they're engaged. They're getting a viable curriculum that's standard-based, it's research-based. And we know how to fill the holes. Like our reading program kind of sucks with 
phonics, which I think a lot of programs do, but we're consistent about how we supplement and how we support it. So it's interesting. I think as we look back on what instruction has looked like over this last year, hybrid, remote, you know, distance learning, face-to-face, whatever you want to call it, whatever your district or your school is at, I've noticed that some folks have thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to tier one support. They're like, Hey, I did this in the past, but yeah, I forgot about it. Maybe our lids are just flipped. Maybe we're stressed. I don't know. Well, I know we're stressed, so that's not a maybe, but I just really want to encourage folks to remember like good instruction is good instruction. What worked for you before definitely can work for you. Now you just got to make a couple little adjustments and shifts, but the power of what you've done with tier one has not gone away. The research is still there. We just need to make some shifts. So as we talk with our guests, which I'm super, super excited about, know that regardless of what setting you're in, you can make this work. There's huge power. This is the first step in really developing that solid foundation for your students before you even start intervening. In fact, you can't intervene yourself out of a core tier one problem. So if you're looking to flip that triangle on its head and actually get that 80, 15, five, 80, 15, five, you got to dial in your core. So Adam, are you ready for our guest or what? Let's do it. I can't wait. I'm ready to learn and I'm ready to be vulnerable. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So, Hey, Adam, we're here today with a very special guest from Texas, Danielle Parker. She's the principal at Hallsville North Elementary School, and she is also in our IPC network, and she was throwing down some amazing work this last week where it caught Adam and I, our attention, and we were like, dang, she is on fire. We need her on the NAESP Principal Podcast. So, Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Awesome. So the topic of today's podcast, you know, we're diving into the power of tier one instruction, regardless of your setting. And I think that you've been in a face-to-face model, but that is not the case throughout the nation. Many folks are just looking at trying to return in a hybrid situation, or maybe they still have remote instruction going on. So we want to know what your thoughts are on tier one instruction, because this is definitely your wheelhouse and a huge passion of yours. And I think you're working on a book with this topic. So why don't you start first by just talking about tier one instruction? What are some of the core, core staples within it? Yeah. So I, I'm such a strong believer. I think in this past year, we've all been kind of thrown into like a traumatic event. We were all kind of taken out of our comfort zones and pushed to face challenges we've never had to face before. And a lot of us, I think a lot of educators and administrators, we've been kind of in survival mode. And when you kind of get in survival mode, sometimes you forget like the basics. And um, having to go back to, you know, yes, we're having to give instruction a different way. Yes, we're facing hurdles that maybe we haven't always had to face before, but we can't forget best practices. If we go back to that tier one, tier one is, for those of you listening, tier one is basic instruction in the classroom. So you're walking in a classroom. It's what every kid is supposed to be getting. That is what you're, everyone on that grade level, um, that's what everybody's getting. That's, that's, the fir- that's the first thing. And then students who truly struggle at tier one, then that's when you do interventions and you start doing extra for them. So um, you may have to do extra interventions. What I'm seeing for Texas, we've been in person since September. We had kind of a, a mixed model of the first nine weeks. We did have some that were virtual and some in person. Um, 
And so we've had some different, it's looked a little different for us. Um, but our, my teachers were in survival mode. And so I first had to go back in October. And we all know as administrators, October is that hard month. And I had to bring us back to our mission and vision and go to our why. First off, why are we here? What, what are we doing in our mission statement every day? And it went back to that tier one instruction. What are we doing in our classrooms? One, to make our students feel safe. Um, where do we find out where our students are at? A lot of the mistakes I'm seeing is that we're spiraling into what they didn't learn. And instead of finding out exactly where your students at, we had to give pre-assessments figure out where our students were at, where do we want them to go, and then how are we as a grade level going to help push them up to that next level. And all of this happens in what we call tier one. Um, we build in an hour and a half um, planning time, two days a week with each grade level. And I'm going to be honest, it's two long days, but I intentionally plan to be in those meetings. And I'm not there to micromanage my teams. I'm there to be part of that collaboration and offer ideas and offer support and see what they need. And a lot of people think that when students struggle, you throw computer programs, right? Like you, you buy a computer program, you throw the kid on there for 30 minutes, and that's going to fix all of the world's problems. And it's not. It's, it's in tier one. It's in the classroom. And it's in those small group instruction. We do a ton of small group instruction. We even share kids. And um, it's incredible to watch a teacher say, okay, give me that kid. I've got a group I'm working on with that. And I'm going to take them for you. Or I'm doing a guided reading group on this level. You only have one student. I've got three. So send them to me at 10 o'clock every day. And I'm going to do their guided reading with me. And that's all in the classroom. That's not a computer program. That's not extra staff. That's working as a team to get all of your students in the grade level to that level. So in that tier one talks, we talk about what do we want our students to learn? How are we going to assess that? And then what are we gonna do for our students who aren't learning it? And what are we gonna do for our students who are getting it? And we're having meaningful conversations in our planning. We're very intentional with what we plan to teach. And then we're very intentional with how we're gonna assess it. And y'all, I'm so lucky. I've got a team of teachers that truly believe in this because they've seen the outcome of it. And so they buy into it. They, um, they will spend time creating their assessments. They will spend time looking at those assessments and really diving into the data. So all of those conversations take place. And then on Thursdays, our second planning meeting, we have something we call tier one talks. And what tier one talks is, is an opportunity for teachers to come about a specific child, a student that they are specifically struggling. Um, and they hear from their peers. Oftentimes what I see in RTI, response to intervention, is that it's three to four weeks out. They bring it to a team, whatever your team may look like. For us, it was our interventionist, myself and my counselor. And sometimes it was easy fixes. And so then the teacher's frustrated because it's been three to four weeks before they see you. They're highly frustrated. You tell them, okay, let's go back and give them a picture schedule for a to-do list. Um, you know, to help them get by step by step. Well, the teacher's livid when they walk out the door because now you didn't really help me. You just gave me a to-do list and I'm just frustrated. So I said, we got to stop this. We've got we've got to structure a conversation where they're getting timely support and we can maybe avoid that frustration for both the student and the teacher. So every Thursday and when we're sitting in our team meetings, we've allocated time on our agenda where teachers can bring up a specific child. And it can be academic and let's be honest, it can be behavior because sometimes behavior is what's inter interfering with the learning. And so the teachers come and they can be very specific. 
Um, Jacob is struggling with following directions. I have to, you know, I tell him to um, go put his pencil in his box to go get his math station and then um, come back to the carpet. And he gets his pencil to the box, but then that's where it ends. The teachers have come up with phenomenal ways to address it without taking away from the learning time. And they're hearing it from their peers. So they're more likely to buy into it and then they're doing it. And you know, the, the results we're seeing is incredible. Like our office referrals are down. Like we don't have a ton of kids coming to the office because it's been addressed early on before frustration. There's some teachers that they're scared to ask for help. And so when you get to those conversations, we might see like, hey, no, that's a flag kid. We need to do more than just tier one for that student. So then we intervene, intervene quickly with them. Um, and then they've got that support and we're hearing it. So they get there, they get to let it out. They let out their, you know, whatever the frustration is, whatever the problem is. And then we work together to find a solution. So then when we get to RTI, it's truly the kids that really need that additional above and beyond help. And we're, so our numbers aren't crazy high. We don't have a flipped pyramid. I call it a pyramid. You know, tier one, 85% of your kids should be successful at tier one. And what I've seen, and especially now after the pandemic, is that pyramid can easily flip. And so what are we doing to prevent that flip? And so if we can support and intervene and help our teachers in that tier one, it's so important. And then they also need us to be their cheerleaders. Right now, our teachers are really, really struggling. They're really hard on themselves. They are having to shift their thinking from what an end of second grader looked like last year versus what an end of second grader might look like this year. And they're, y'all, they're struggling. And it's because they love their kids and they want them to do well. So we, as their administrators, we've got to be their cheerleader. We've got to help them see where their student came from and how much progress they made and then celebrate it. Y'all, we're buying Sonic drinks. We are, um, you know, don't have the Friday blues. Um, popcorn during their team meetings, um, you know, raffles and, you know, getting businesses to donate gift cards, um, you know, doing everything we can to celebrate even the littlest things right now, because our teachers, our educators, they need it. They're really beat down. Um, and so we take that time in those team meetings to really try to encourage, build up, support our teachers, and then ultimately support our students in their learning. So it's been, it's been powerful. It's a practice we did prior to this, but again, I'm so grateful we already had it in place because this has really been our lifeline this past year. And I think because we had that relationship between the teachers and myself, we've been able to have open, honest conversations. They've been honest with me. We, we don't know how to do this. We, you know, we need help. And so we've been able to do it quickly and in a timely way that hopefully, you know, our meetings right now aren't in tears. We're smiling, we're laughing, um, they're telling jokes, they're sharing now celebrations, they're seeing it. And so it's really been a positive um, outcome from everything that we've been through in the past year. So Daniele, Rachel and I are just, we've been constantly shaking our heads. Yes, 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 yes. And we were talking before the show that every state is a little bit different or a lot bit different with how they kind of approach instruction and all these different things and you know we were having a conversation offline but if if there's a principal listening right now that's like yes Dan Daniela yes I live in California or I'm a principal in Florida or I'm a I'm a principal in Vermont and I want to do this 
what are your top three or top five kind of things to do? Like, what are those small lifts to do? Because I know a lot of it has to do with the culture and how we talk about kids or how we approach instruction in the classroom or how we just approach the classroom and planning lessons. And we were talking about field trips before the show um, and just kind of what we do, those, those heart lessons and just, just like, what are your top three to five? If you were, if you were going to say, okay, everybody, y'all, I love how you say y'all. I say y'all all the time too. And you're <laughs> from right. Texas. I'm not, but I've adopted the y'all. All right, y'all here are the top three to five things that you can do that, that, that you can do that you can do now or next week. They're not going to take $50,000 and 20 conferences to get. What are those things that you recommend another principal do to get them on the journey, on the path of this tier one instruction that you're talking about? Okay. So first off, I'm going to tell you because I'm, I'm a nerd, so I love to read. So even on my, on my spring break right now, I've been reading. You're not a nerd. And Adam and I are right I there with you. You're totally good. Good company. Uh, one of the things I would really encourage is there's a book by Ken Williams and Tom Herrick called Starting a Movement. And it's a really quick read. It's not, it's not very long. I mean, it's, it's, it's a short book. Um, and it goes back to a lot of the why. So Adam, you asked, what, you know, what would I say first? Go back to your mission and vision statement with your staff. And, and I put up a poster board in October when I kind of felt like we were like the ship was kind of rocking. We maybe were, we weren't going in the right direction. I put up a big poster board and I put, why, why are you here? And I gave each of my team members a sticky note. We did this in their team meetings. And we said, I said, why are you here? Why, why are you in education? And I had to bring them back to their purpose. Why, what, why did they choose this? Why are they teachers? Because teachers are losing connect to that. They're drowning in all the other stuff. And so I would first get everybody to focus back on their why. And they shared, they shared their stories with a partner. Some people were crying. They remembered a teacher who had an impact on them. They, they think about kids that they had and they go, you know, one of my teachers said, I realized during shutdown that I want my kids in person. I miss that relationship. I'm here because I want that connection with them. So take them back to their why and then take them back to your mission and your vision for your campus. Why, why are you here? I think a lot of campuses, and I was just as guilty of it, we were survival mode in August and we breezed by it, but maybe we didn't spend enough time on it. And so what are we doing right now to support our students with our mission and our vision, vision statement? What are the most important things? And so identifying you know, why you're here, um, what is your mission and vision? Why, what's your purpose for that? And then how are you doing that right now? What, you know, I, I asked my teachers and we charted it on chart paper. What are we doing right now to live up to our mission and vision? Even though things look different, if we say we believe all kids can learn, how are we ensuring that right now? If we say that all students can learn at high levels, then what are we, what's in our practice right now? What are we committed to? And then go back to our commitments. And do we need to rewrite that? Do we need to reword it for what we're facing right now? Maybe we need to address it differently than we ever have before. So what are our commitments? And then we type up those commitments. They're on our agendas. What are we committed to? And then each grade level has their commitments too, because each grade level is different. You know, kindergarten classroom versus a third grade classroom, is it's a little different. 
what are we committed to? And then how are we going to track this and monitor this? You know, if we say all kids are going to make a year's worth of reading growth, how are we going to track it? And then we're going to, we're committed to this. And so how are we going to measure it and celebrate it and support our students in this? So again, go back to your why, go back to your mission statement. How are you, how are you meeting that? What are you doing? What, what do you need to change? And be honest, if you need to change something you're doing right now, change it. There's no rule saying you can't change something this late in the school year. You, you can change it at any time. So if we're doing something that's not working, change it now. This is your time. And then what are you going to be committed to? You know, we're heading into the last nine weeks. What are we committed to for this last nine weeks? What are we going to do to make a difference? This is the time frame we have left. What are we going to say we are committed to doing this? And then let's hold each other accountable. And if we're not doing it, let's be honest with each other and come back and say, hey, we said we were committed to this, but our conversation earlier didn't support that. Our lesson that we did this week didn't support that. We changed our expectations. We started lowering our expectations. That's not what we said we were committed to doing. And so I think that's good any time of the year, but right now I think it's so important because people are losing that focus. Well, thanks for the book, Reco. I just ordered it on Amazon. And it's funny because I saw you actually on your Twitter yesterday, you were at the beach, happy spring break. And you were had a picture of you reading a book. And there was a one of the sections was culture eats structure for lunch. Um, and there's an old quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast uh, by Peter Drucker, who's an old business guy that had a lot of good kind of business quotes and, and, uh, and business ideology. So um, all right, there's your uh, three to five get started steps principle. Rachel, what do you, I'm, I'm, I'm dying to ask Daniele like 15 questions. And um, Daniele, I'm going to get you to start your own podcast all about tier one instruction. We're going to talk about that offline. Yeah, um, but Rachel, what do you got? So I'm super curious. Would any of those strategies change if you were in a remote or hybrid setting? Because I, I mean, I can see all of those definitely in a face-to-face doable going on rocking it but what about those that maybe don't have all their kids back would you change or pivot if you will <laughs> we love the word pivot this yeah. last year i i would think you know what are we going to do for our remote learners you know what is our commitment to them and how are we going to support them and then how are we going to support our students that are in person um, because i think you you may have to pivot some you may have to pull from other staff members you know the students not not participating, you know, you may have to get somebody else to help connect with them virtually and give that one-on-one support that maybe the teacher can't offer because she's trying to do it all. Um, You know, so I think we'd have to be creative, you know, but I think your why, your purpose, and what you're committed to, I think you can stick with it, you know. It just has to look, it may have to look different, and I think we have to give ourselves permission Y'all, this is new to all of us. And there's, I tell people, I even tell parents this, there's no how-to manual on this. Like we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. But I think if we keep the focus around kids and continuously monitor it and adjust, then we're doing the best that we can. But keeping those conversations and, and the team time with your teachers, you know, checking in on them, making sure they have what they need. I think we have to be committed to it and be committed to doing the best that we can to help all learners be successful. And it's just, I wish there was a, you know, a perfect utopia for it. Um, and I, my heart goes out to the administrators and teachers, honestly, that are still virtual, um, because that was 
the first day, and I always tell people that are going back into person, I've told a couple of them, I said, you're going to get ready. You're going to cry. You're going to cry when those doors open and those little bodies come walking in because you, you feel like you're coming home finally. You're like, I'm home. This is the way it's supposed to be. Um, because that's why we, that's why we went into this. We didn't go into this to be virtual teachers. And so we're having just kind of learn to navigate through it. Yeah. I cried like a baby when they came through the doors. I just oh. wanted to hug them all and then had to remind myself like you're not supposed to hug people now. So, <laughs> oh, well, I won't lie. I hugged. I get hugs the first week it. when that, when a four-year-old is crying because they're being separated from their mama, you know, at the front door, cause they can't come in. Yes. I'm going to scoop up that baby and I'm going to hold them and carry them down that classroom. I mean, that's what we're going to do it. Love it. Love it. So I'm, I'm curious. So for me as a principal, I'm thinking like this conversation starts with me. I'm the, I'm driving the bus and I'm saying, Hey, y'all tier one instruction. Here's my three to five non-negotiables. This is what we're going to do. Um, you know, Hey, I might even have Daniele come in and do a zoom with my staff to kick it off. You know, I think that's really important too. Like, Hey, there's this other people are doing it. Here's how they're doing it. You can kind of, you know, be the spark and then I'm going to continue the flame. How then do you remove yourself or take a step back or two steps back to then have that culture where your staff is having these conversations without you they're still having them with you but the goal is we want them to be doing this without us i feel like it's got to be sustainable and i i feel so much of what i've seen in education in my career is not sustainable it's dependent on one or two people be it the principal or a director and you know because you leave your school daniele in a year five years ten years if this work is still relevant you want your people to be like we miss Daniele. She's a great leader. She's off to the next thing, but we're still doing this because it is part of our culture. How do you get there? I don't know. I'm cracking up because I, I had to go to quarantine with my kids. One of them was getting tested earlier this year. And when I came back, one of my, it was her first year to teach on my campus. She cracked up. She goes, I just want you to know you were missed. She says, but we kept on going. And the question that I heard a couple people say was, what would Daniele do? <laughs> And I just laughed and I said, but they believe in it and they were able to problem solve it. Adam, it goes to that belief when they believe it and they've experienced it, they don't want to go back. My teachers that have been with me, they say, we can't imagine not working in this type. It's become natural. It's normal to us. Um, here is a prime example of how normal this is and how much the staff, especially the staff that have been with me for, for several years, um, y'all, we have, we have one grade level. The teachers are doing a phenomenal job. The kids, we noticed that our first grade students are really struggling to recoup. I'm going to be honest. So if you haven't been back in person yet, fair warning. Um, they lost the last nine weeks of kindergarten in person. They, it was their, their unfinished learning from our conversation the other night. Um, their unfinished learning. And the, our first grade group is really struggling to get, to make rapid gains like our other grade levels. So I took it to the campus leadership team and the campus leadership team is teachers from every grade level, um, including our fine arts bonus staff. And I said, here's our reality. Here's where we're at. Here's, here's how our students are doing. They looked at first grade and I said, guys, we need to help our first grade teachers. How can we do that? What can we do? We, we don't have any more money. <laughs> you know, it's not, I don't have any more interventionists. What can we do? Y'all, they are giving up one, now they don't have the duty now, but they're giving up one of their recess breaks where they get to go outside and get some fresh air 
and they're taking a first grade group. I've got about 10 staff members, kindergarten, second grade. My pre-K teacher was willing. My third grade team was willing. They're taking first grade students. And my second grade teacher said, these are, gonna, these are our kids. They're going to be in our classrooms next year. They're, they're Bobcats. They're ours. Whatever I can do to help them this year is only investing in next year. And my kindergarten teacher said, we love these kids. We know that some of these kids struggles. Whatever we can do to help you, we're going to do. Y'all, that was a moment that I went, I mean, we're not, we're not perfect, but man, what a great feeling as a leader to have your teachers. Because let's be honest, taking another group on top of everything else, you know, they've got a lot on them. So for them to say, yeah, we can do this. That's manageable. We got this. And then seeing them in the hallways, going and getting those kids and sitting down and encouraging them and building those relationships. It's just part of our culture. And so Adam, I really believe in, you have to have the buy-in of your staff. Um, you have to have the teacher leadership team. You need the game changers. You need the people that other teachers are going to listen to. Um, because if they'll, if they're the ones that other teachers look at and they hear them and they see them doing it, and then you're coming in as the leader saying, what can I do to support you? What can I do to help you? This isn't a gotcha. What can I do to help you? I want you to do well. I want you to do well with this. What can I do? Then it gets to the point where, where I feel very blessed with my teams. I just sit back and they ask each other the hard questions. <laughs> I don't have to ask it anymore they ask it. So we've developed them asking those hard questions and really being honest with each other because they believe in it because they've seen the results of students being successful and they felt it and we've encouraged it and celebrated it. Yeah, that is awesome. And you know, I brought to mind the book and the work Collective Efficacy, uh, number one indicator that Hattie has identified to really move students forward. You also made me think of all of the PLC work by the DeFores, just love them to death, along with throwing in RTI work. So if you're a reader, those are three different um, avenues you can go down that ties exactly in with what Daniele was talking about, which is good game-changing stuff when you're talking about outcomes for students and really serving them to the max that you possibly can. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Daniele, for joining us today. You did a fantastic job. I can't wait to continue this conversation because Lord knows uh, I can probably talk to you and listen to you talk for hours on end. It's just a huge passion and you can definitely see that coming through with you. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for joining this episode of NAESP Principal Podcast. Hey, learn more about NAESP at naesp.org. Learn more about Chicago, who's coming up. Uh, that conference is in July. It's the 100 year anniversary. It's going to be a huge shindig. And folks, we hope to see you next time. Thank you. The NAESP Principal Podcast is sponsored by the National Association of Elementary School Principals, supporting our nation's leaders from preschool through eighth grade. Andy Jacks here, Senior Fellow for NAESP Centers for Advancing Leadership. Whether you are looking to develop your professional learning network, extra liability coverage at a fraction of the cost, or you want to level up your professional development, NAESP has you covered. Mm -hmm.